0: Hello everyone, welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello everyone, thanks for listening. Welcome. Uh just a word um today. Uh my co-host uh Mitali will will uh not be uh broadcasting today with us. She's out of Zambia traveling and is not able to get uh proper uh <clears throat> internet and Wi Fi connection to to uh submit her broadcast. So it'll be just me for for a while until she gets back into a place where she can broadcast. So, um just um we'll just be praying for Mitali as well, uh for her journeys to have safe journeys and uh, we look forward to um when she's back and sharing her thoughts. So today we'll be studying uh two psalms. Uh Dr. McGee uh covered um, an overview of Psalms 120 through 134, but is basically um, zeroed in on Psalms 120, 121, 21. so that's what we'll be doing. Now, this is a group of Psalms, um, often called the Pilgrimage Psalms, um, the Pilgrim Songs. Uh, psalms 120, 134 are Psalms that deal with coming back to worship. Uh, and they're called the song of ascents. Now, what does that mean? That means like climbing up a hill. Well, what does that mean? <clears throat> climbing up a hill to to worship. Uh, Jerusalem was a city built on a hill. So, a lot of times when people would come to the temple in Jerusalem to worship, they had to go up this this hill. They had to go. They had to ascend up on a hill. So, uh, going up um lifting your eyes up sort of is a physical reference to what the people had to do of course uh there are other um, um references to uh looking up to the heavens is spiritually that could mean a sort of a parallel meaning there um so <clears throat> th- this also um would be sung as Dr. McGee said this would be sung by Um, the, the Jewish people who were held in captivity in foreign lands, who were coming back, who were coming home back to Jerusalem to, um, to worship there. So this, uh, Psalm 120, this is, uh, um, um, coming, uh, sort of a Psalm that deals with coming back home to worship, um, This, uh, the, the Psalmist, um, apparently had been in a foreign land or in a bad neighborhood. And he's just, uh, looking forward to, to, um, being delivered, um, before he, before he comes home to worship. So I'll just start reading and then we'll talk about it in my distress I called to the Lord this is verse 1 and he answered me deliver me o Lord from lying lips from a deceitful tongue so again this psalm starts off with trouble um the psalmist is in distress and when when he he called on the name of the Lord he answered me um Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips. This is like what he's praying for um, and a deceitful tongue. So um, he's around people. He's around um, liars. He's around people who are deceitful, who um, cause him great distress. And uh, I think we can all kind of relate to that. We can all kind of relate to being talked about, being lied about. We can all r- relate to worry and stress or anxiety about situations. Um, things don't go the way we want it to. Um, we're not. We're not perceived the way we want to be perceived. You know, your image today. When you think about it, it's so um, so important. I mean, our whole generation is growing up about image. Uh, whether you go to the store, it's about marketing. It's about the power of commercials on TV or in movies or the image of people. Everybody's got to maintain an image. People want to be popular. People want to be uh, perceived as really good people. Nobody wants to be perceived as uh, a hypocrite or a racist or a um you know somebody who's not tolerant or all these different things that are strong negative images of pe- of people that people have and if somebody doesn't like somebody else, they call them a name they they say well you you don't believe in my politics or you don't believe in what I want, therefore I think you are you know they just call people names. It's very easy for you to to look on the internet or look in a newspaper and see one person calling another person a name. We say that a lot in the politics right now. Or um when somebody has a <clears throat> a legal matter, it's not my fault. The other person did it. You know? It's not my fault. You know, and it's it um, we say things and we create stories to make the other person to blame. Or, you know, when we have uh, arguments with someone at work or school or even at home, we have an argument about something. And uh, when when somebody when we're under attack by somebody, our first, you know, a lot of times is to defend ourselves. And we're all of a sudden talking and we don't really we hadn't thought it through. And it's so easy to say things you don't mean. It's so easy to put somebody else down when, when you're under attack. <clears throat> I know you asked me to do that, but I didn't do that because you did that. Or I know you asked me to do that, but I didn't do that because I was doing that, and that was more important, and I just didn't do it. And you know, <clears throat> Or, you know, why are you doing that? Because, I, you know, it's people... Get wrapped up in their positions and they get wrapped up in their positions more than God's position. And they get wrapped up in what they want more than what God wants. And they get wrapped up in their own um, priorities more than God's priorities. God's priorities are that, that we love one another and love Him. Love Him and love one another. So um, lying lips and a deceitful tongue, tongue, the tongue can really hurt. The tongue can pierce someone else's heart, even sometimes more than, than hitting them. You can say something mean about somebody or say something deceitful about somebody and it gets spread like a fire. And then all of a sudden, your image is ruined, just by something somebody says or something somebody doesn't say. The tongue is a, is a small little part of your body, but oh my goodness, it can do so much damage. So this psalm, this psalmist here, is in great great distress, and he's actually calling on the name of the Lord to be just deliver me from the liars and the deceitful people you know he's not praying about being delivered from from the lions or some or some famine it's just the the lying and the deceitfulness of the the generation he's around or the people he's around is enough just to cause him the greatest of distress Verse 3, what shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you? A deceitful tongue. In other words, how bad can it get? I mean, what else, what else can be more hurtful, more harmful than somebody else's deceitful tongue? It can just bring you down. It can just destroy your good name. It can put you in legal jeopardy it can make people hate you for no good reason and the lying and this it can cause people to fall away from their faith it can cause people to it can cause marriages to break up it can cause families to break up it can cause brothers and sisters to 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 go their separate ways and never speak again the lying tongue the tongue of deceit The tongue without love is a lie because this whole world is a lie except for God's love. The tongue is probably one of the worst things that has caused so much harm and hatefulness or so much just hurt for one another is the tongue. A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. What's that? This is sort of like the judgment, you know. These um, sharp arrows and the glowing coals and are in the emblems. These are things that um, sort of put into a picture of what the liar deserves. The liar deserves to be shot with an arrow or to be burned over the coals of the broom tree. Now, what's a broom tree? A broom tree is a tree apparently that grows in this region that has wood that makes very good charcoal as it burns, and when it burns these charcoal, these charcoal remains hot for a long, long time and it retains its heat. So if you burned the wood of this broom tree, you would have glowing coals for a long time and you could sit around and just be warm. But it would be good supposedly here the psalmist is saying for for putting somebody over these coals so that they would be, you know, tortured for a long time. That's how bad God speaking to us through this psalmist Feels about a, a, a loose tongue, a lying tongue. It's like a a very small rudder on a boat. It guides the whole boat. You know, no matter how hard you you try to work on rowing the boat, if the rudder is pointed in a different direction, boat's gonna go where the little rudder wants it to go. And if the if the if the tongue, this little rudder for your body. Um, says what it wants, your whole life course can change just like the boat course can change. Your tongue is really important according to the Bible, according to this psalm. Out of the words of your mouth can come prayer and praise to God and right out of the same little mouth can come the worst language, the worst lies, The biggest slanders. You know. God's saying to you. How can you have such hateful deceit. Coming out of the same place. That's supposed to be praise for God. You know. You're corrupting. Your. uh, This little. uh, Altar site for God. That's supposed to be. What comes out of your mouth. Is supposed to be pure worship. And you. You defile it. When you just. Slander others, or slander God's name, or slander God's purpose for you. So, um, verse 5, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshesh, uh, that I dwell in the tents of Kadar. These are areas um, in Israel. The, uh, Meshesh is a people that lived in the southeastern edge on the Black Sea, and Kedar was uh, a place in the arabian desert um it's not so much maybe these exact locations i think my bible study notes was saying it's probably just to summarize all the different areas where god's people had been dispersed you know these are these are where this guy had to live among people in different parts of the area. But he said too long in verse 6, have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace? I'm for peace. When I speak, they are for war. And um, God's purpose and His plan is for peace. He wanted peace. And um, the city... um, of Jerusalem is uh, is a city calling people for worship um, for God's peace, and it's sort of the psalmist is sort of implying that I'm for peace because I have God's word. Those who don't have God's word hate peace. God, God's word ultimately being brings peace on earth. Jesus was the Prince of Peace. Jesus always said, Peace be with you, when He came into their presence. After He was crucified and raised, the first thing He would always say to people is, Peace be with you. His presence brings peace on earth. And I think when the the greeting in Hebrew, the shalom, when they say that, I think it translates to welfare, that translates to peace. Peace be with you. God's peace. So when you're in the presence of God, you, you have peace, or peace be with you. Those who don't have God's word can't have peace. They're at war with the world. The world is at war with peace. The world is always going to be at war with God. They're going to hate peace. They don't have love. God's word, the fulfillment of his word is love. And that's what is there for you. <clears throat> Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the law, and he brings peace. The, the, the first fruit of the Spirit, as we said, is love. Jesus fulfills the law from his love. The second is uh, joy. Then we say joy is translated from the word Beatus, which is mean blessing. So when you receive Jesus' love, you're blessed. You have blessing, that is joy. That's the word joy translated to that. To bless someone is to give them such a great gift, they have joy. So Jesus' gift to us gives us blessing, gives us joy. So the third fruit of the Spirit is peace. Love, joy, peace. Peace, that's the gift that Jesus gives you. You have peace to to reconciliation from your sins, okay? So we are for peace, those who worship in the name of the Lord. And no matter who's around you, no matter what they're saying, what comes out of their mouth, it could be lying lips, a deceitful tongue. It could be lips that, you know, a lying lip, what could it be? It could be anything. It could be saying, talking about, Um, what is truth? You know, the whole word of the Bible is summed up as truth. You know, if, if people around you aren't speaking the word of the Lord, they're probably speaking something from their own hearts, but their own hearts isn't true. Their own agendas isn't truth. The only truth is the word of God. That's the only thing that's going to last forever. So if you're around a lot of people who are just talking, you know, uh, whatever they want to talk about, you know, godless chatter, whether it's that or just lying lies about things or deceitful things or people have their own spin on it, you know, it's not the truth. And people sometimes think they're speaking their truth, but it's not. So when the psalmist wants to speak, he wants to speak about peace the peace of god that's what's coming out of his mouth that's what you know when he speaks he says the last verse they are for war so just a just a psalm that emphasizes the importance of what's coming out of our mouth how we speak as as how we prepare to worship we can't worship with the same tongue if the same tongue has uh, worldly stuff coming out of it. We become just like those around us who are at war with with God's Word. So God doesn't want people lying or deceitful. And He doesn't want people st- um, steering people away from His truth. How important that is. As we prepare to worship. Psalm 120. Now we'll go to Psalm 121. <clears throat> this is a really inspiring song. And this is what Dr. McGee is, says in reference. as the, the, the people are coming in sight of Judea. They're getting closer. They're getting closer to their uh, journey home. They've been in exile. They've been scattered around. Why were they scattered around? It wasn't because God's a bad God. It was because they were so bad as people. God allowed Israel to be captured. And the Assyrians came in, boom, took a bunch of people away. The Babylonians came in, boom, took a bunch of people away. Where did they take these people? Back to their, back to their um, countries. Made them slaves. And uh so uh God worked his way with these different peoples and kings and allowed the remnants of the of the of the nation to eventually come home. <coughs> the people are overjoyed, and they would have sung again these songs as they're coming home. Now this one um, is Starts off by saying, verse one, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Verse two, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, can you see all the different ways you can sort of look just to this opening word? I mean, you've probably heard this. These are some famous passages in this in 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now, what's that talking about? Well, this would have been looking up to the hills of Jerusalem because the temple was built on a hill. So, as the people get closer, they can see the city built on a hill, the city of David. This is um, the future city for Zion that where God's supposed to come back. So you can lift up your eyes to the hills and um so where's my help? Where does my help come from by having to go up this hill? Now that could be the physical help, because I gotta walk up this 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 steep hill. But again, even another level of interpretation is lifting up my eyes heavenly, heavenward above the problems that I've got going on in the day. I think I've got a lot of problems right now, but I lift up my eyes above what I'm dealing with to that future promised resting place that God gives us. That's His city on this hill. That He will come and dwell with His people. Where does my help come from? Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So it's a very personal couple of verses. It's I. It's talking about personal. My eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. So it's like little me, my eyes, my help, my help referenced in there three times at least. and then, But then the Lord who made the heaven and earth. So the greatness of the Lord is there who made everything. <clears throat> heaven and earth itself. But my eyes can look up to the hills and be inspired to know that my God made those hills and there there's no hill that's too steep for me to have to climb. There's nothing that <clears throat> is out of reach for me. Why? Because my God made that. There's nothing that I uh can't try to overcome. Because whatever problem I've got, my God in heaven has already made it. He's made the heaven, he's made the earth. And any little problem I'm dealing with, he's already made that and is sovereign over that. I'm sick in a hospital bed somewhere and I got cancer and I need help. I lift my eyes above this hospital bed. I look up. If I'm stuck in a room, I focus and I just visualize to the heavens or to the hills that's where my help comes from. It doesn't come from me here in this hospital bed. It doesn't come from me going through some court procedure. if I'm a prisoner stuck in some jail. it doesn't come from that. It comes from something above all of this. It's from a Lord in heaven who's made it all and is who, and who is above it all and is so powerful. And above us in our weakness and meekness. But we have that assurance that we have help. And the help is yours. Specifically to you. And to me. It's your individual help. That your particular eyes can see. That your particular problem that you can lift up. Specifically to you. You have help personally, personal delivery from the Lord who's so powerful above all of this. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. <clears throat> when you're try- on one level, when you're trying to walk up that hill, he's not going to let your foot be moved or your foot slipped. He will not. Now it's talking about Him. Started out talking about you and your problems. When it says, my help, my eyes, you know, I lift up my problems. But now he's talking about the greatness of God. He will not let your foot be moved. As you're walking up this hill, it's not going to slip. Now, of course, in reality, you know, you say, well, you know what? I just slipped. But He's speaking even on a higher plane than that. Your foot be moved. He's not going to let your foot slip into death. For those who call on the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, your Savior, has laid down His life for you. The Father in heaven has given to the shepherd each sheep, each sheep's life. Jesus Christ has died for you, and that now you are going to be under grace. So yes, you can fall down and make a mistake. Yes, your body still is a sinful, mortal body, and you'll still have problems. You'll still make mistakes. You'll still fall down, but he will get you back up. You don't have to re-crucify Christ every time you make another mistake. That would belittle his power. He had so much authority and power that when he laid down his life, he laid down his life for his sheep, his people, and he knew that he would be crucified one time, one man for all. And as we studied back in Galatians chapter 5, if you're walking in the Spirit, you're walking by the Spirit. That means you're letting Him sustain you as you walk. You're walking by the Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit, with the Spirit, and by the Spirit. And when you're walking by the Spirit, that kind of translates as walking by the Spirit like a little child learns to walk. When a little child learns to walk, a little child falls. His father or his mother picks him back up. And he learns to walk and he walks a few more steps and he falls. Gets baby. Father picks him back up. And he learns to fall. He learns to walk a little bit farther and then he runs, tries to run, and then he falls. Isn't that like our walk, our way? Our Father in heaven, when we believe in our, Jesus Christ, our Father in heaven loved us so much. He allows us to believe in Jesus Christ. Now we're under grace. We can fall. But if we're in the Spirit, if we're walking with the Spirit, we'll be walking by the Spirit. In other words, our walk is really not our own legs anymore, our own strength anymore. We're walking by His power in us. We're walking by the Spirit. Dr. McGee says, we can't be Christians unless Christ is in us. Because still, we still have these impure, sinful bodies. So when we ask Jesus Christ to come in us, His Holy Spirit now is in us, working deep in our souls. He knows how bad we are inside. And without His presence in our bodies, in our life, we're still just hollow, dead dead. People, Dead people walking. So we walk by the Spirit. So if we fall, it's His Holy Spirit within us that allows us to get back up. We're walking by the Spirit, by His grace, by His power in us. And then as we walk, that's New Testament gospel message in Galatians referring back To Old Testament Psalms 121 verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He's not going to let you fall. You're walking by the Spirit. That's Paul talking in the New Testament in Galatians. Talking about life in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. That's in chapter 5. And this is beautifully uh, written about here in Psalm 121, verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved, and he who keeps you will not slumber. So, in other words, God is not only working in in your life every day. He's working around the clock. The Holy Spirit is in you He is the Holy Spirit has been referred to as your helper, your guide, your counsellor. He's your help. Where does my help? My help comes from the Lord. the Lord Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been referred to as your helper. He will not let your foot be moved as you walk by the Spirit. He who keeps you will not slumber, and it's a reference to the fact that That's how great and powerful our God in heaven is, our the Lord Jesus, His Holy Spirit now lives in you. But you know, it's also a reference to Jesus the night before uh, he was uh, uh, put to death. Remember, he asked everybody to sit up with him and pray with him. He's praying for them. He's praying for his own strength. And we saw some of those prayers in some of the other psalms. But Jesus did not slumber. Jesus stayed up. And all his other uh, disciples fell asleep. Even even Peter. These were people who walked with him, who knew him, who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, who saw him feed 5,000 people, no problem. He's, they saw him walk on the water. They saw him heal blind people, lame people, deaf people, lepers. They followed him. And you, you would think that if you were in their shoes, oh my goodness, you would be with Jesus all the time, right? You'd probably be just like the other disciples. You got sleepy. And you couldn't stay awake. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And look at all the different times the word keep or keeper is referenced. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. Keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. He's keeping you day and night. He doesn't sleep. He's sovereign over the day. He's sovereign over the night. He's sovereign over all of Israel. He's sovereign over you. He's sovereign over the heaven and the earth. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Jesus has been described as the shepherd, the teacher, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. He's been referred to as the gate by which the sheep enter. Just as you have a gate to the temple going to worship, you enter through the gate, Jesus now has been referred to as the gate itself because as you, the Old Testament, as you physically walk through the gate to worship, now with Jesus Christ, with God's presence on earth, you walk through him. And when you walk through him, you have access to the Father in heaven, the presence of God. Jesus is the gate by which you enter the presence of God. He's been referred to as the gate. He's been referred to as the gatekeeper, the one who tends the gate where the sheep. He tells which sheep are good sheep and which sheep are bad sheep. He figures out which sheep are going to come into the gate where the where the, the the sheep reside, and which others don't. And once the gate. Once the the sheep come into the gate, once you come through his presence, he keeps you. Like a shepherd will keep his, his sheep protected. He will keep you from all evil. He will keep you protected from all evil. Why? Because Jesus laid down his life to defeat all evil. Jesus laid down his life to defeat all sin. Jesus laid down his life to defeat death itself. He will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 7, He will keep your life. Why? Because He has given His life for you. You want to know how, how important you are today? Look at the fact that Jesus laid down His life for you So that he will keep your life with him. And look around this world. That God is sovereign over all that. But his son, Jesus. He came in his form. Jesus laid down his life for you. Because you're that important. So he can keep you. He doesn't want to lose you. Verse 8. The Lord again will keep you're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He will keep you safe. He will keep you protected wherever you go. Going out, coming in. If you're going in to worship, if you're going out to worship, you know, like if the in the physical sense, like people are coming in now to Jerusalem to worship, and you're entering through the gate. You're coming in, you're going out from this time forevermore. No matter where you go, because God's presence now is in you. In the sort of the the original version, you had to go through the gates to be with him, to go through the gates to be in his presence. But he is promising you that it doesn't matter anymore because You are entering through Him now, through a different gate, through Jesus Christ. His presence now, God's presence, is going to be in you forevermore, from all time forth and forevermore. This psalm is looking way in the future. It's not just looking towards somebody coming back to to worship in Jerusalem. You get that. But the psalm shifts about all the things the Lord is going to do. He will keep your life. He will keep you wherever you go. You're His. He has paid the price for you. He has paid the price for your sin. He will keep you from all evil. He will keep your very life itself no matter where you go. So I hope these two psalms were encouraging to you. Of course, they are to me. I love each one of them. It's almost like more and more every every new psalm is something even more wonderful to, to read. Um, so I'll end here. Again, our prayers will go out to Matali, who's traveling, and we just pray that she has a safe journey and that she's back soon and will be able to broadcast soon. But for me, to all of you, God bless you. Have a great weekend. I'll see you next week. And we'll start up, um, I believe next week we'll start uh, on Psalm 122. Take care, God bless you, and I'll see you next time.